I want to get into our message this morning. You know, I have started a, a series a couple of weeks ago on a new standard of living. Um, when Jesus came to this earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he did not come just showing people a new thing to believe in or who God really is or, uh, you know, here's something new to think about. He came to bring a new level of living, a new way to living. Thank you. A new standard of living. Um, and so we started off a couple weeks ago and we looked at lordship. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we can throw that up there. Romans chapter 10, this has kind of been our key verse throughout the series. And, it, and this is Paul speaking. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is a prayer that a lot of us have heard, maybe was possibly read to us when we were saved, when someone introduced the kingdom of God to us. Um, and they said, this is what you have to do to be saved. You just have to say this prayer. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You have to confess him as Lord, confess your sins, and you're in his kingdom. And then you go to heaven. And so we have reduced this, these two verses to simply a prayer. But we are seeing that there's actually a new way of living that is absorbed in these verses, and we've taken a look at a few words. First word that we looked at on the first week was the word Lord. If you confess Jesus as Lord. And that word Lord doesn't just mean that uh, he rules or that you now belong to him, but it actually means that he owns you. We looked at the word Lord, and the only term that we see in our modern day language for Lord is the word landlord meaning that you have now been placed, uh, you have been given responsibility or accountability over something, a resource, but somebody else owns it. And so we are in control when we operate something, but someone else is really supposed to be calling the shots on what takes place with it. And so we saw that that word Lord actually means that you are saying that Jesus owns you and your resources. Everything that belongs to you belongs to him. And so he should have access to everything that we own. And so we saw that our lives, first of all, belong to Jesus. And we should be, uh, we should be entering into a covenant with him that my life is now yours. Paul said this. He said, I am now crucified with Christ. It's not me that no long, I no longer live. I'm not, I'm not the one uh, calling the shots on what I do with my life. I'm not the one saying where I work, what I do, who I talk to, what I do with my time, these type of things. It now belongs to God. And so we looked at that word, Lord. The second word that we looked at last week was that word, confess. And this was probably the most surprising that we've looked at so far because that word, confess, actually means to make covenant. In, in our modern-day language, it actually means to enter into a binding legal agreement with another party. That's what that word confess means. We've reduced it to just simply you just saying something. So most of us in this room, we can probably point back to a day or a time when we confessed or we said a prayer 
we repented of our sins. But remember, from, the, from day one, we've been saying that we've got to redefine some terms. I mean, we even had to redefine the word repent, and that means to change your thinking. So now repentance isn't just a one-time thing. I, I repented for my sins. I came down to the altar, and I repented, and then walk away, and we live the same way. That word repentance actually means that in everyday life, we're constantly changing our thinking to line up with the word. What does the word say about this situation? I need to change my thinking on healing. I need to change my thinking in my finances. I need to change my thinking in uh, how I view people around me. I need to change my thinking about church. And so the word that we looked at last week was the word confess. And that means to enter into a binding legal agreement with another party. We saw a few things about a covenant. One is that a covenant requires two parties. I can't have a covenant with myself. There has to be someone else that I'm joining into agreement with. And so we saw that God, from the beginning of time, we went all the way back to Noah. He was trying to establish a covenant with man. Why? A covenant is always brought in to accomplish a task or an assignment. That's why God was entering into covenant with man. Because in Genesis 1.26, he turned over rulership or dominion to us. We're the ones supposed to be ruling and reigning on the earth. We're the ones supposed to be in control. We're the ones that are supposed to be bringing heaven to earth. So he needs man to do it. So he had to enter into a covenant or into an agreement with man saying, if you do what I ask you to do, then I will provide for you. That's the two parts. There's always two parts to a covenant. There's always God's part And there's our part. And he's always entering into covenant to try to get man to obey what he simply asked him to do. That's why. The word says that unto Abraham it was counted as righteousness. He was counted as righteous in God's eyes. Why? Because he believed God at his word and obeyed him. That's why he was righteous. He wasn't righteous because he said a prayer when he was five years old. He wasn't righteous because he went to church every week. He wasn't righteous because he believed that Jesus died on the cross. Because at this point, Jesus hadn't done all that. None of that was available. He was a righteous man because he believed God's word when God spoke to him. He stood in faith on it and then obeyed him. And Abraham had to do some pretty crazy things. I mean, you're talking... Taking your son, your only son that God promised you that was going to be the father of many nations. And, I mean, it's hard enough if he's got 12 sons to put one on the altar. Okay? But to put the only one you have that you've waited 100 years for and that you're supposed to be the father of many nations. And now and God's asking to do some pretty crazy things. But Abraham was a righteous man. He believed God at his word. And that believing led him to obey God at his word. So that is what caused Abraham to be righteous. And that's why God was able to establish that covenant. He was able to join up. He was able to agree with Abraham because Abraham was a righteous man. And God was able to accomplish a task. Last night I found myself reading something that you know, most of us skip over. And in the beginning of Matthew... Uh, Right out the gate in Matthew is what we call genealogies. But it's so funny to me, if you read it, it starts with Abraham, and it ends up with Jesus. And it just, 
you know, to me, it's just crazy to think, you know, to follow the line. It shows Abraham's kids, and then you get to uh, Jesse, and Jesse has a son who is David. David becomes king, and David wasn't even in the royal bloodline, because who was king before him? Saul. David was not even related to Saul. And I just find that interesting that God, way back in the beginning when he established this covenant with Abraham, he would put a king in his bloodline. Because who comes later? A man named uh, Joseph. And Joseph ends up becoming Jesus' father by adoption. So, you know, and it says there was uh, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from Abraham, uh, David to when they uh, were taken captive into Babylon, and then 14 generations from there. But you just follow all the way. I mean, you, in essence, you could say, if you drew up the family tree, that David was related to Abraham, that Jesus was related to David, and Jesus was related to Abraham. I mean, that, that stuff, I don't know, I'm, I'm a history buff anyways. I, I like history. But I just enjoyed watching God's plan unfold because I've been studying this out. You know, I've been in this for a few weeks now studying about this new standard of living and studying this covenant out. And God has always got a plan in place. He's putting people in alignment. And even when there was someone born into the family that wasn't likely to be a king, or had no right to the king's throne, he'll make it happen. He'll put it into alignment. That, that's just interesting to me. And so God establishes this covenant with Abraham. And not only was the covenant good for Abraham, but what did he say? He said, I will establish my eternal covenant, an everlasting covenant. That's not only good for you, but it's good for your children and your children's children. And all your descendants, all the way on down. So the covenant was good with David. The covenant was good with Boaz. The covenant was good with all the people that came down through that line. And the covenant was good with Jesus. The other thing that we saw about covenant last week, that a covenant always required a sacrifice. There's always a giving up of something to enter into agreement with somebody else. We saw in the Old Testament that blood was always shed. God always required bloodshed. God always required uh, animals to be offered up uh, on the altar as a sacrifice. And then he said, and this is a sign of the covenant that I'm establishing with you. Well, God sent his own sacrifice. Because it got to a point where these sacrifices had to be given every year. It became tradition became tradition that you had to offer up this sacrifice every 365 days. And now God sends a sacrifice, his son, that becomes the eternal sacrifice for all redemption. We saw in Hebrews where uh, God said that uh, this sacrifice will be good for all redemption for the rest of mankind, eternally, for everlasting. Okay? So this covenant is important because now we are confessing what Jesus is Lord. So we have just entered into a binding agreement. We've entered into a legal agreement with God that Jesus owns me. I do his work. 
I fulfill his will and his purpose in my life, and God will provide for me and make sure that I'm taken care of. I mean, that went back to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve were completely taken care of. Adam and Eve worried about nothing. Adam and Eve weren't concerned about what to eat, where they were going to live, what they were going to drink, what they were going to wear. These were not concerns for Adam and Eve. What were they busy doing? Tending the garden, cultivating the garden, being fruitful and multiplying. That was Adam and Eve's job. So it shows us that God is trying to bring back into earth what he put in the garden. He's trying to get mankind to be concerned with his things, and then he will take care of you on the back end. He's got us covered. Amen? He's just looking for people that will fulfill his will and his purpose. So today I want to move a little further. The title of my message uh, that I think I'm going to end up going with is called The Good Life. The Good Life. Because that's what we're talking about, a new standard of living. Um, I need to open up with this real quick. Man and what we see today, the world that we live in today, is deteriorating. We know this. Everything is on a downtrend. And I'll tell you right now, the world would be a lot worse off if the church wasn't here. Because the Bible says, Jesus himself said that you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth and salt is to slow down the process of decay and this world is in a decaying the momentum is downward the momentum is decay the momentum is deterioration we see governments are corrupt we see uh, just about every industry on the face of the planet uh, has some form of sinfulness to it the internet there's sin uh, the music industry is full of sin. The entertainment industry is full of sin. Uh, economics, corporate world, uh, all this stuff has been exposed to deterioration. And it has been exposed to that because the world is operating under a system that it was never meant to operate according to. Never meant to. See, we looked at the word standard, I think, last week, and I'll, I'll share that definition once more. The definition that we have of standard is habits established by the authority as acceptable. It's a way of life. That's the definition of a standard. A standard is a habit that has been, that has been accepted by an authority. Well, who's an authority over the earth when who did man give his authority over to satan he's now become the god of this world and he has established habits or he has established a way of living that is contrary to what god tried to set up in this earth you got to understand that when god put man on this earth he established a kingdom and he established a way of life he actually established habits for Adam and Eve to do. He gave them a routine. He gave them a daily lifestyle. He gave them what to seek after. He gave them what to work for. And God's system went out the window when man could no longer live according to that system. And someone else's system came in. But the problem is, is the world was not meant to live or to operate according to that system. The world this earth was always meant to have uh, influence from heaven. 
It was not meant to operate aside from heaven. This earth is supposed to look like heaven. That's what God put on the earth. Sickness is not supposed to be here. Deterioration is not supposed to be here. Uh, Financial problems are not supposed to be here. Worry and anxiety and fear, these things are not supposed to be in the earth. So we see the earth is uh, lining itself up according to a different standard, to different habits or a different way of living than it should be. But Jesus came on the scene. Jesus came into the earth. And what did he do? He didn't come here just to uh, heal a few people, cast some demons out, you know, get some followers and just go around and do nice things for people. He came to introduce the right way of living. He came to introduce a new standard, a new standard of living. Now, when man lost contact with heaven, when man lost influence from heaven, man had to set up alternatives to get back in alignment with heaven. Man had to set up alternatives to do and carry out God's will on this earth. Because there were still some men, Noah, Abraham, Moses, in the midst of sinfulness, in the midst of deterioration, there were still a few men that would do God's will in the earth. But you can't do God's will in the earth if you're not connected to heaven. You don't know God's will in the earth if you don't know God. So systems came into place, other systems. Still not the full system, but something came into play called the law. Now, I'm going to try to go into this this morning without getting too deep and getting theological and because you can get in deep into the law and understanding the law. And I'm not going to get into Leviticus, and I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, having to dip, you know, your food in this before you eat it and having to build your houses like this and having to sacrifice all these animals and kill all this. I'm not going to get into all that. We're going to cover the law uh, in, in very general terms. But what you have to understand is that the law came into play. God established the law. The first thing he established was the Ten Commandments. He established the Ten Commandments with Moses. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, uh, you know, lust after your neighbor's things. Down the line. Honor your father and mother. Okay? We, we know about the Ten Commandments. This was the introduction of law. But here's why law came into play. Let's go to Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. I really believe, if you stay with me this morning, I'm I'm not going to get real deep. um, And there's going to be a backside of this where it's going to be real exciting. But I really believe that it's going to set some people free. Because there are attributes of the law that man is still stuck to today. And we're going to reveal that. And Jesus came to reveal that. And we're going to show it. We might not be, you know, concerned with... uh, you know, having to kill this many animals and having to sacrifice this and split this in half and, and all the different things and all the different rituals that they had to do. But there are attributes, there are characteristics of the law that when the law was introduced, that man is still stuck to today. 
And now it has become more about what we do and how we act and how we look rather than about a heart motive. Okay? So let's look at this in Galatians chapter 3. Well, let's start with verse 10. And this is Paul writing to the Galatian church, and he's saying, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Here's the first thing you've got to understand about the law. This verse right here. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What he's saying is, if you try to abide by the law alone, you are cursed. Why? It is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are in the law. Here was the curse of the law. You couldn't do it. That was the curse of the law. The law was introduced for one purpose, to show man what a sinful lifestyle looked like. He comes in and he says, thou shalt not lie. I'm showing you that lying is a sin. Thou shalt not commit murder. Murder is a sin. Honor your father and your mother. If you do not honor your parents, you're in sin. That's all he's doing is he's identifying, in essence, all he's doing is identifying right from wrong. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're not supposed to live. But the law did not provide the ability to live right. Just because I know to do right doesn't mean I always do right. So that's, the law brought with it a curse. When the law was introduced to man, it immediately brought a curse that you can't live up to this. And God knew that. There was a standard of living introduced by the law, but the problem is, is no one could live according to that standard. So let's keep going. Verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. The just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. So what's he saying here? To be justified by God, it's not about what you do and how you talk and doing all the right things and saying all the right things and hanging around the right people and going to church when you're supposed to go to church and wearing the right clothing and cutting your hair a certain length. That's not how you are justified by God. He says here, you are justified by God. How? By faith. Now look what verse 13 says. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So Christ has set us free from this inability to live according to the law. Jesus came into the earth and brought a new standard of living. Jesus came into the earth and identified the law, showed us that the law could not be upheld on your own, and then gave us a way to live according to that law. That's awesome. That's exciting. Because our life is no longer bound by what we do and how we talk and you know people we hang out with and if we go to church, if we don't go to church. And I'm not saying that we don't live according to the law. You've got to stay with me because we're going to get to that point. But first thing I need to point out 
is that the law brought with it stipulations and restrictions and limitations that could simply not be lived up to. So now we have a people that not only live in sin, but know what to do right and are still fully unable to do it. They might do parts of it. They might keep parts of the law. They might do certain things, but there's still some things that mankind as a whole is unable to live according to. Even some of the most righteous men in the Bible still had failures in some parts. I mean, David, an awesome man, he had one failure that stands out among all of it, among everything he did. Why? Because he was still not fully capable to live according to, to the law not until Jesus shows up so Jesus shows up let's go there Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5 we we'll start with verse 17 Matthew 5 verse 17 Jesus shows up knowing that here is mankind here's the system that's in place when Jesus shows up and we don't picture this a whole lot because you know, in our Bibles, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there's probably some white pages in the middle, maybe a few introduction stuff. But we end Malachi, and we start Matthew, and we think is a whole new era. Man in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are still living like they did in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way on up. And we don't picture that. We think, okay, Jesus is here and everything's different. The people are living different. And that's just not the case. Jesus came in the fullness of time. But when Jesus was walking on the earth, man is still stuck to law. Man is still stuck to rules, stipulations, and regulations and unable to live according to them. Unable to be righteous in God's eyes according to the law. Okay, so here comes Jesus, and in verse uh, chap- Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to uh, get rid of all these stipulations and regulations and just give you this uh, freedom mentality, I can do whatever I want and do anything I want. And that's not what, Why did Jesus have to make this statement? Here's why Jesus had to make this statement. Jesus came in introducing a new standard of living. And his new standard of living took us beyond the law. Took us beyond a bunch of do's and don'ts. Took us beyond a set of rules. Took us beyond a piece of paper that said, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He took us past that. So we have Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, elders, religious leaders that are bound by the law, tied to the law. They follow the law to the smallest detail. The smallest detail. If you're not supposed to pray on this day, then you don't pray. If you're not supposed to work on this day, then you don't work on that day. If you're not supposed to talk to these type of people, then you don't talk to those type of people. Okay? Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. 
Uh, you didn't work on the Sabbath. Uh, you had to wash your hands before you ate. Uh, just all kinds of garbage. These were the little tiny rules. Some of us may have been in churches like that. You had to cut your hair a certain length. You had to wear a certain type of clothing. You weren't allowed to wear makeup. I mean, I grew up in Pentecostal church. Pentecostal Holiness Church as a young child. And I'm talking, if your carpet wasn't the right color, if your worship wasn't the right volume, I'm talking tight stuff. Rules and regulations. And so Jesus shows up. His disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. He's healing people on the Sabbath. Right? He's doing these things. And, the, and they're getting all messed up. These religious people that are bound by the law to the smallest detail. And so they're scrutinizing him. Okay, you say you're of God, but yet you're breaking this law. And you, Moses commanded this. And so Jesus faces him and he says, I didn't come here to destroy the law. You think I did, because to you, I'm breaking all the rules. But Jesus came to introduce a new system. Jesus came to reintroduce the system that was lost in the garden, and that was simply obedience to God. So if God says to heal a man on the Sabbath, you do it, because that is God's standard of living. God never intended for man to be stuck to rules and regulations and stipulations. Those were brought out to show man a sinful lifestyle. But it was impossible for that to make you right. God did not look at someone that just upheld a bunch of do's and don'ts and said, that's a righteous man. He was always looking at the heart. So look what Jesus says here. As we go on. Verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law. All is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people that were bound by this law, unless it goes beyond that, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is stating here, I'm not here to do away with the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. But then he goes on and he says, but your righteousness needs to exceed needs to be greater than, needs to be better than the Pharisees and the scribes. Those people that follow every little thing of the law, those people that are bound by the law, it's got to go beyond that. How? How? They follow every little piece of the law to the smallest detail. Every do and every don't, every regulation, every rule. They follow it to the T. And I'm supposed to be greater than that? But those men were missing something. Those men were missing the greatest aspect of obedience to God. And they totally got blown over. By everything they did, they wore the right thing. I mean, they're the ones standing out on the street corners praying loudly and got their chest up high. 
right? Everyone can see. They're religious people. Everyone can see. You know, they carry their big books around with them everywhere. I'm trying to paint a picture of what these people are doing, how these men are living. And then Jesus says, your righteousness has to go beyond them or you will not even enter the kingdom of God. But they were missing a detail. They were missing the heart issue. And for them, living according to the law and being obedient to God was all about doing the right thing, saying the right thing, going the right places, not working on days you're not supposed to work. And they were so bound by this that when Jesus came to bring a new system, when Jesus came to identify how man is supposed to be living, they got all jacked up. You're breaking rules. Moses said to do this. Abraham said to do this. God said to do this. The law says to do this. And he's messing up all the rules. So Jesus goes on down. Let's go down to verse 21. I'm kind of skipping around here, but... I'm just doing what the Holy Spirit says to do. Jesus' ministry uh, was criticized because it looked like he was breaking all the laws and all the rules. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, look what he says here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. That's a law. But Jesus said we have to exceed that righteousness. So look what he says. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Basically, he says, if you are even angry with your brother, you have already murdered him in your heart. In your heart. And so man, religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, they are living according to law. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. But how many people were they angry with? How many people did they want to kill? How many people did they want to hurt or harm? And now Jesus has just identified where the true motive lies. It's in your heart. Now look at this. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, The kingdom is not here or there. It's not with observation. You cannot see it with your eyes. But it is within you. Jesus came to establish a higher standard of living. Jesus came to establish the kingdom and he put the kingdom inside you, which means that now you are supposed to live the kingdom and show the kingdom from the inside out. But what was man trying to do? Man, through religion, was living religiously, going to church on the right days, working on the right days, not working on the wrong days, doing all the right things on the outside. And Jesus flips it around and he says, it's got to be in you and come out of you. So where does anger take place, on the outside or the inside? The inside. 
So he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is inside of you. So if you are angry on the inside, you've already murdered that person. Why? Because God looks at the heart. But I didn't murder him. You've already broke the law. See, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to show us what the law is really all about. Let's go on down to the next one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He does it again. He gives us two instances. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old. He's talking about the law. You shall not commit adultery. Ten commandments. Right? We've already seen two of them. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he goes on. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Well, I wonder how many of these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes had done that. They may not have committed the actual act of adultery. But Jesus, once again, kingdom of God is within you. What does he say? If you lust. Where does lust take place? Outside or inside? Inside. The kingdom of God is within you. So religion is bound to actions, adultery, murder, lying. The kingdom is bound to heart, feelings, lust, anger. When you think about lying, to lie to someone else, you first have to lie to yourself. I mean, if I'm going to tell you a lie, I have to convince myself first that that's truth. I mean, all these commands, all these laws that are taking place, and man is bound by do this and don't do this and wear this and don't wear this and say this and don't say this. And Jesus shows up and says, it's not about that. It's about the heart issue. And if you get the heart issue right, because if you don't want to murder on the inside, you won't want to murder on the outside. If you don't lust after someone on the inside, then you'll never end up in adultery on the outside. He's raising the standard. He did this. What's the first commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus takes that command and he takes it to another level. He says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Before Jesus showed up on the planet, it was impossible for anybody to love their neighbor as he loved them because he wasn't there what did he just do raise the standard raise the standard of living this is the standard of living that Jesus came to bring this is the kingdom that he brought religion has stuck people to do's and don'ts look it's not about I go to church every Sunday and I go to church every Wednesday that's not what it's about it's about the heart to want to be hooked up with his body. It's not a religious activity. Now, I said at the beginning that this might sound like Old Testament stuff and how does this concern me, but the church is stuck to attributes and, and characteristics of the law today. Because people will look down on you because you don't go to church every time the doors are open. People will look down on you because you don't do all the right things on the outside. But those people 
I'm telling you right now, there are some people that are in the doors of the church every time they're open, and they have no more, no more a heart for God than the man on the moon. They might as well just go to the bar on Sunday morning. They might as well just stay home and watch a football game on Wednesday night. Okay? What's Jesus trying to identify? The standard of living is in the heart. And when you have the right heart, then the actions follow that. But the religious leaders are just living by a law on the outside. Now, here's the great thing about the law. Go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. We said this, that the law, when it was introduced, brought a curse with it. The curse of the law was the inability to live according to it. The curse of the law was the fact that no matter how much of the law you fulfilled or lived by, you still could not be in right standing with God. That was the curse of the law. So look what Jesus does. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. Having become the curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus removed the inability to fulfill the law, to live by the law. In the Old Testament, the law was brought in place and said, here's the right and the wrong, here's the do's and the don'ts. And then man, no matter how much of that they tried to live by, they could not be holy. They could not be righteous. They still had to send a priest in to atone for their their sins. They still had to send, uh, uh, still have to give up sacrifices and do it, do this all year round and every year uh, having to you know do all this junk and all the stipulations that they had to live by. And the problem was they could never do enough to get right with God, to get back in position with God. They could never do it. Jesus shows up, says, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've now given you the ability to live according to the law. And when he died on the cross, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, not the law. It doesn't say he redeemed us from the law. He didn't come off the cross and say, all right, you don't have to do any of this stuff. You can go and lie and cheat and I'll still love you. You, can, you don't have to worry about going to church. You don't have to read my word. I'll still, you're still one of me. No, he said, I redeemed you from the curse of the law. You can now abide by the law and be righteous and be holy. He has brought that ability. In essence, you could say this, that Jesus complements the law. Jesus is the added piece of the law that was missing the whole time. Jesus was the piece that was missing. And he raised the standard. Here's the law. Now here's how you live according to it. And you live 
according to the law from the inside out. That's what the kingdom does. Now, it says here at the end of 13, it says he's redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham. What does that mean? Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. The blessing of Abraham might come upon us. Well, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, there's a very important statement here about Abraham. And look what it says. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteous. That word accounted means that he was considered righteous. Abraham was considered righteous, and we've said this the past few weeks. Abraham was not righteous because he believed Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Abraham was not righteous because he went to church all the time. Abraham was not righteous because of the things that we think makes you righteous. He was accounted or considered as righteous. Why? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. It is through our faith that's what makes us righteous. We've been redeemed from the curse. But there is still a law to abide by. Now, here's what believing, here's what true faith does. This is what true, real faith does. It's not about saying, I believe something, or I think this is true, or you can't push me off of this. True faith leads to obedience. True faith leads you to live according to what you just heard. That's the blessing of Abraham. That's the blessing of Abraham. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've been redeemed from the inability to live according to the law. And we've been given the blessing of Abraham. We have been given the ability to have faith in God's word, believe it, and do it. That is the higher standard of living. That's the new standard of living that Jesus brought. Jesus said, if you commit adultery, you've broken the law. But I say to you that if you don't believe my word and obey it and live by it, you've already broken the law. Even if you don't actually commit the action. He's putting it on the inside. That's the new standard of living. So Romans 4.3 shows us that the new standard, what God is expecting man to live according to now, is not the law, but by faith. We just saw that over in uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God, for the just shall live by what? Faith. The just, if you want to be just in God's eyes, if you want to be right in God's eyes... You hear his word, you believe it in your heart, and you do it. You live by it. That's how the just live now. The just don't live by do's and don'ts. The just live by God's word and then living it out from the inside out. Not just doing it on the outside and having a different heart motive. Let's look at one last verse. Romans chapter 10. We'll go back there. Romans chapter 10. See, religion had brought in this picture. Man got bound by religion and religious activities, rituals, 
and it just became about being in church at the right time and not doing these things and doing these things and looking good on the outside. And Jesus called those men whitewashed tombs. That means that's where dead stuff lies. You're, inside of you, it's all dead. It's empty. It's, you got dead stuff dying and decaying and deteriorating inside of you. But on the outside, you look all clean. Look all nice. Look like you got it all together. And this is what Jesus was dealing with. Those are the number one people that Jesus, of all the things that Jesus had authority and dominion over. I mean, he, he tells winds and waves to stop. He tells a fig tree to stop growing. He's moving mountains. He's uh, uh, healing all kinds, raising dead people. And the one thing he could not control was people's minds. And it was the religious minds. It was the religious people that he's running around and he's doing these things and preaching the kingdom of God and they could never see it. Because in Matthew 4, he shows up and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it was the number one thing they couldn't do. Couldn't change their thinking. Couldn't change their thinking. And so they think that Jesus is here just, he doesn't care about the law. He doesn't know anything about the Old Testament. He doesn't know anything. I mean, what did he do in, um, I think it's Luke chapter 4, he got up there and he preaches. And after he's reading the message from Isaiah, and then at the end he goes, today, this is fulfilled in front of your eyes. Can you imagine the religious leaders and the problems they had with that? You're telling me that you are fulfilling the law? Why? You know why they had a problem with that statement? It was because they thought they were fulfilling the law. They thought they could live according to the law and fulfill the law in their lives without Jesus. That's true. So they thought they were righteous in their own eyes. They thought they could do it on their own. They thought that they were doing everything right on the outside, but on the inside, they're all jacked up. They're dead. They're decaying. They're deteriorating. What do we call that? What do we call that type of person? A hypocrite. Get this. You might not even know this was in the Bible. It's in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul actually had to confront Peter about being a hypocrite. Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. But when the Jews would show up, he'd leave them and act like he didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, this stuff we still see today. That sounds like high school stuff, don't it? That sounds like a clique. That sounds like a gang. That sounds like a hangout. Oh, I'll, I'll hang out with you, but I'll, if I want to try to impress these people, I, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't hang out with you. I don't know who you are. And Paul confronted him in front of everybody, in front of the Jewish people. He says, yeah, he hangs out with those people. And he's a hypocrite because when you guys come around, he acts like he doesn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Peter, who was there walking with Jesus, knows about this new standard of living, and just got caught up. And Paul had to address him. Paul had to confront him. And then he writes, how would you like that? How would you like someone to come and confront you about something you do wrong in front of everybody, then write a book about it? To another church. Hey, by the way, I had a talk with Peter. 
last week, and now it's in here forever. That's got to make Peter feel great, huh? Yeah. Okay? So hypocrites, that's what we call those people. On the inside, dead, decaying, deteriorating, withering away, have no heart motive, have nothing in line with God's word, don't care about it at all. Because their motive is just to look good on the outside. That's all. If you give me a Corvette that has no engine, it's useless to me. Looks good on the outside. Go wax it up, shine it up, and it just sits in my garage. Sits in my driveway. Can't take it anywhere. Can't do anything with it. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, the purpose of this thing is to get me from one place to another. When it comes down to it, this Corvette needs to get me from here to Publix. Needs to get me from here to church. It's not there just to look good. I'm telling you right now, we are not here just to look good. We are here to show people something and to live something out in front of people. That's why we're here. And that's why the just will live by faith. That's why the just will be those, the right people will be those that hear God's word, believe it in their heart, and live by it. Okay, Romans chapter 10, uh, 9 and 10, real quick. We'll wrap it up here. Again, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your where? Heart. That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. What's that mean? In your heart is where you have faith in God that leads you to obey him at his word. That's what that is. It's with your heart. It's not on the outside. It's not with your mouth. It's, it's with your mouth that you confess that Jesus is Lord. It's with your mouth that you make a binding agreement that he owns me and all my resources. That's what you do with your mouth. Your mouth is not there to show off how godly you are. Your actions and your body is not there. No, we're supposed to be living out what we know on the inside. We're supposed to be living out what is real to us on the inside. We believe in our heart unto righteousness. That means you have faith in God's word in your heart and you live it out in your life. That is the new standard of living. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning that you have shown us a new standard of living.